To all the dads, we want to say happy Father's Day. There's, uh, there's nothing like it, right, men? Men, we're glad you're here. There's too many churches on Sundays where men are bagging it on Sunday. The church needs men. We want to be ministering to men. We want men leading. We want men serving. Ladies, we love you. Men, we need you. If you haven't uh, already signed up for the Act Like Men conference, uh, we need you to do that. Conference is coming up in November. Men, this is going to be a great opportunity. It's two loaded days. And uh, go online to our website, sign up. Grab your Bible, open up to Joshua chapter 13. Chapter 13 is the hinge to the book of Joshua. We've already seen in the first half, chapters 1 through 12, this is, this is manly stuff. I mean, this is the conquest, this is the battles, this is the fighting, the wars, this is action, it's graphic, it's bloody, seven years of battles. As a man reading through Joshua, it doesn't get better than this. This is awesome. This is like epic Old Testament. Chapter 13 is the hinge. So from here on out, everything changes. It's now about plotting the land, survey the land, divide the land, settle the land. The key words now, territory allotments. Sounds really exciting, doesn't it? We, we lose the narrative story, and now everything becomes lists and land and details. The whole tone and pace and style drastically changes. We go from this, this high-energy, intense, uh, heart-pounding adrenaline of the first half to now this last half of Joshua, these meticulous lists and boundaries and cities. I mean, visually, we, we go from these guys, these six-pack abs with a sword, to now this guy, a surveyor with a hard hat, a reflective vest, and a clipboard. Everything changes. Just like last week, Pastor Cody said, uh, when you get to this part of the text, you kind of skip over it in your devotions, right? Joshua 13, are you there? All right, men, we like getting straight to the point, right? Right, thank you. Look at the end of verse six. No, I'm sorry, uh, verse seven. Uh, now, defi- now divide this land for an inheritance. Verse eight, Manasseh and Reuben and Gadites received their inheritance. Verse 14, to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. 15, Moses gave an inheritance. 23, an inheritance. 24, Moses gave an inheritance. 29, Moses gave an inheritance. Do we see where this is going? This morning's about inheritance. And uh, after 700 years, finally, finally, Israel is inheriting the promised land. Uh, This morning, we're going to be looking at inheritance, and we're going to be asking the question, what's most important? Being Father's Day, I want to speak to the dads today. Um, Men, to keep your attention I'm not reading through all of chapter 13. Uh, We're going to look at maps. Guys like maps. Today we're going to get the big picture of chapter 13 and really the foundation of Joshua, not by reading through the chapter, but by looking at some strategic maps of what's going on here. So I've got four questions. And really these questions are the bones holding this chapter together. 
What's so special about the promised land? Question two, what's unique about the land west of the Jordan River? Question three, what's unique about the land east of the Jordan River? And question four, what's with the Levites? And why didn't they get any land? Verse one. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years. Clearly, Joshua is what? He's old. We know Joshua is at least older than 85. He dies at 110. So somewhere here, Joshua is, he's in his 90s. Joshua is old and advanced in years. Yet there remains very much land to possess. Ever since Genesis 12, God has been insisting that Israel would settle this land. I mean, God has been possessed that Israel would now possess this land. We see this coming over and go over time and time again. It comes up. What's the deal with this land? I mean, what's so special about this promised land? Israel spent 40 years traveling through the wilderness from Egypt to get here. Okay, let's do the math. If they traveled one mile a day, for five days a week, they could have walked from Egypt to China and back in 40 years. That's just one mile a day. So really, out of all of the Eastern Hemisphere, out of anywhere that they could have gone, all of Africa, Europe, Asia, why do they end up here? If I was a shepherd, which, which these people were, I'd go where it's green. Okay, here's a satellite image. You see all the Greenland, Central Africa, some of India, you see China, a lot of Europe and Asia. There's a lot of green land out there. There's a lot of not so green land out there too. Where do you think Moses took them? To the green land? No, after 40 years of traveling, they ended up here, the land of promise, 11 days away. 11 days, that's the walking distance from Egypt to the promised land. Why? Why this land? I mean, what is so special about traveling to some sandbox next door 11 days away? They could have gone anywhere in the Eastern Hemisphere, half the globe. What's with this land? From the horizontal perspective, nothing. It, it's really not special. It's not even really desirable for survival. The promised land is the, most leak, uh, the least likely place imaginable. In the book of Numbers, when Joshua and the spies, when they go and check out uh, the land of Cain and the promised land, the spies come back and they report to Moses, there's giants. We are like tiny little grasshoppers. There are giants in this land. It's already occupied. Now, these are the giants that Israel now has to chase off the land. The land really has no natural resources, no precious metals, no minerals, no hardwood trees. There's only a few rivers and lakes that even provide clean drinking water. Have you heard of the Dead Sea? I mean, this is not desirable land. The promised land is hilly and rocky, sandy. In many parts, it's desolate and barren. It's not green. It's not rich and lush and fertile soil. The land is known for droughts and famines. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're all shepherds. 
These are the patriarchs in Genesis. These are the founding fathers of this nation. They lived off green land. And at one point in their life, all of these guys, they wanted to leave the promised land and go down to Egypt. Genesis 12, verse 1. We'll start with Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Hold on to this. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse four, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him and they went out to set out uh, to go to the land of Canaan. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Here, God makes his promise with Israel. He promises this land, the promised land. But right when Abraham packs up his, uh, his entire tribe, packs up a caravan, right when they finally reach the promised land, they show up and they're looking around and they're like, is this it? This is in famine. I mean, they haven't even had time to set up camp and they're already leaving the promised land to go to the land of of Egypt. Now, Abraham's son, Isaac, Genesis 26. Now, there was famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. Okay, so this is the second generation, second famine. And the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, the promised land. And I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Again, we see that promise from God. Here, God shows up to Isaac. There's famine. Isaac wants to go to Egypt. The Lord says, stay, stay in the promised land. Again, third generation. Now, Isaac's son, Jacob, along with his 12 sons, Joseph's already in Egypt. Now the 11 brothers, they said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land for there is no pasture for our flocks for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Three generations, three times famine in the land. Now, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. That's Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all these generations, they were in the promised land and there's famine and they wanted to go to Egypt. Egypt had the richest, best soil around Here's a closer satellite image of of the Nile River here in Egypt. Every year, the Nile River will flood over, and the topsoil surrounding the riverbeds are just loaded with nutrients. Every single year, the Nile River produces some of the best crops with the least amount of work. Why didn't they just stay in Egypt? Why didn't God just like hand over Egypt as the promised land? Why didn't God just give Israel this land of Egypt? I mean, right after the 10 plagues and Pharaoh's army drowns in the Red Sea, 
Who's going to stop them? That's the perfect time. They've got two million people. Just camp there. What's with the promised land? There's giants in the land. There's no natural resources. It's rocky, hilly, sandy. There's droughts. There's famine. Much of it is barren and desolate. They could have walked anywhere. Why here? When it comes to real estate, what are the three most important words? Location, location, location. The promised land is prime real estate. You can see on the map, it is located in the heart of the Eastern Hemisphere. Now, this promised land is, is forming this, this intercontinental land bridge from Africa through Middle East to all of Europe and Asia. It's the hub that's connecting everything. And so everything that's traveling on foot, everything that's passing by, because of the, the sea on the west and the mountains and the desert on the east, everything is funneled right through the heart of the promised land. Here, God has prepared this land, not just for these people, but he's preparing this land for the rest of the world. This becomes an artery of roads and transportation where everything is passing right through Israel. And here, God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham that literally that, that in this land, that through this soil, all of the nations, all of the families of the world will be blessed. It's not about the scenic views. It's not the resources. It's not the soil. God is fulfilling his promise. This is prime real estate. This is what becomes the sending base place for Israel. This is where the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself, where he comes. This is where the disciples begin spreading the message, the news, the gospel, that Christ has come, the hope, the redemption of all mankind. From Jerusalem spreads out to Judea and Samaria throughout the ends of the earth. Everything is starting here in this hub right in the promised land because it's a strategically, critically located land linking the entire eastern hemisphere. God knows what he's doing. It's location, location, location. Back to Joshua 13. If your Bible has headings, uh, the headings are really helpful for this chapter. It's easy just to get lost in the geography and the cities, uh, but there's really kind of two main headings. Uh, verses 1 through 7, uh, this is the land still to be conquered. Okay, this is the, the western land, the land west of the Jordan River. If we look at a map, we've got kind of the Jordan River here in red. Everything else shaded to the left. West is, is in green. This is the, the nine and a half tribes. This is really foreshadowing what's coming ahead in the rest of, of Joshua. And then verses eight through the end of the chapter, this is the land east of the Jordan. There's really two divisions. Uh, this has already happened. Moses already distributed, already gave this land. Question two, what's unique about the land west of the Jordan? Verse two, this is the land that yet remains. All right, this is the part where I chicken out and I'm not reading it. Uh, let's just look at the map. We can see the whole survey of all of the land that still remains west of the Jordan. Uh, this is verses two through seven, verse seven. Therefore, divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh. Here's the land that eventually becomes divided up. And you can see everything west 
of the Jordan River. This is what's going to be divided up in chapters 14 through 20. So I'm going to wait till Doug comes back, Pastor Doug, and I'm going to let him read through the details of dividing up all of this land. Uh, we just want the big picture of what's coming. Everything west of the Jordan, this is yet to happen. This is chapters 14 through 20, the rest of Joshua. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 11. I just want to focus in on why this land. Not only is it all about the location, but God is all about building a relationship with his people. Deuteronomy chapter 11. This becomes the sending base place for Israel. God has prepared this land for the world, but God is preparing this land for his people as well. Deuteronomy chapter 11, starting verse 10. For the land that you are entering to take possession of is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables. But the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven. See this ground, this soil, this land, it's not like Egypt. This is a rainfall dependent land. Where do you think the rain comes from? Verse 12. A land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, he will give you rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. He will give grass in your fields for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. God is making this land a dependent land on him. So as Israel, as the people are faithful and obedient and worshiping and serving the Lord, he blesses. He opens up the heaven, pours out the blessing, the provision of rain. God is building this relationship with his people so that even in their land, their survival is dependent on him. Why did they leave Egypt? It's too easy. It was too rich. It was too good. Israel didn't have to struggle with this relationship with the Lord in dependence on him. Verse 16, take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. This is the temptation we see all throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Constantly, Israel wandering away, straying away from the Lord to chase after and worship false idols. Have you heard of the, the deity uh, Baal? Baal is the most commonly mentioned false god in the Bible. The thought was Baal controlled nature, Baal controlled rain, Baal controlled uh, the ground, the crops. Everything that was fertilized came from Baal. And so we see constantly the people of Israel straying after Baal and wanting the provision of rain. God is all about making this land 
This is a relationship where it's dependent on him. And so by their faithfulness, by their obedience, the Lord blesses and provides. And in their unfaithfulness, the Lord judges. The Lord shuts up the heavens and there's drought. Haggai 1.10 says that in the time of judgment, not only the Lord withheld rain, the Lord withheld dew from the grass. God is all about building this relationship with these people. Here's the point. The land west of the Jordan River produced little prosperity, but left an inheritance that was dependent on God. Dads, I'm uh, I'm coming back to you here. When it comes to inheritance, what are you passing on? What's most important? I think it's this. I think it's this relationship, this, this dependency on the Lord. I, I think it's this, this vibrant, active obedience, this, this commitment to faithfulness, this complete surrender, abandonment to the Lord, this ultimate trust that the Lord is sovereign, that he is good, that he provides. Are we passing this on to our kids? Are, are we modeling this this genuine just humility, just on our knees broken, knowing all things come from the Lord. Dads, do we give God credit? Do we truly believe the Lord owns it all? That God can pour out his blessing abundantly? That God can can take away in judgment? It's all about this relationship. Everything that we have is on loan from God. Are we living like we are dependent on the Lord? It might not be in the the terms of, of rain, but our livelihood, we are dependent on the Lord. God designed our relationship to be in need with him. That's why he is God the Father, created us not as these strong, independent beings, but as as his children, who lean on him. It's by his grace, his strength, his provision. That's what we trust in. I mean, that's, that's our livelihood. Today's a day to refocus. Dads, if you're not much of a singer and your son's watching you, how do you think he's gonna worship? If you aren't visibly in the word at home during the week, if your kids aren't seeing it, you think they're gonna be in the word? If attending church just on the weekends is just kind of, it just kind of fits within the rest of the activities and stuff and commotion going on, what are you teaching your kids? Dads, I love you, but your head's on the chopping block first. We don't have an excuse. God calls us to be the spiritual leaders of our family. Men, why do we get so weirded out when we talk about Jesus? Uh, there's no excuse. We, we, we have to talk about Christ with our kids. In Judges chapter 2, the, the generation following Joshua, the, the children, the grandchildren from Joshua, 
started chasing after Baal and other false gods. Israel got so consumed, so busy with life and settling this land and and now taking care of their animals and, and all of this stuff, they stopped talking about the Lord. They stopped talking about the mighty acts that God has done for them. They stopped communicating and sharing with their children what the Lord has done. And in one generation, the children walked away. Man, we, we, we have to talk to our kids about the Lord. What's most important? What are you passing on to your family? The land west of the Jordan produced little prosperity, but left an inheritance that was dependent on God. Question three, what's unique about the land east of the Jordan River? Jump back to Joshua. Verse eight, with the other half of the tribe of Manasseh and the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond the Jordan, eastward as Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. Looking back, uh, this, this is something we've already touched on. Pastor Doug has already brought this up in previous weeks, so I won't spend as much time here. But back in Numbers uh, 32, here's what happened. Um, the people of, of Reuben, the people of Gad, had a great number of livestock. And they saw the land of Jazar and the land of Gilead. And behold, the place was a place for livestock. You see where this is going? Verse two, so the people of Gad and the people of Reuben came and said to Moses, to Eleazar, the priests and the chiefs of the congregation, of the land that the Lord struck down before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock. And your servants have livestock. And they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants for a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. See these two and a half tribes, half of Manasseh and Gad and Reuben. They see this land east of the Jordan River is good land. It's green land. And they've been traveling through the sandbox since Egypt. This is the best land that they've seen yet. So what do they do? They ask for it. Here's the problem. This isn't the promised land. If you see over in previous chapter, chapter 12, Verse 2, there's a king. His name's King Sion of the Amorites. This is the very first king that Moses defeated. And looking back to Numbers 21, this story, Israel was, was wanting to pass through. So they approached King Sion. They said, we are passerbys. Can we please pass through your land? We won't drink your water. We won't eat your food. We won't touch your stuff. Just let us pass through. King Sion says, no. So they go to war. Who do you think won that war? Israel. The Lord defeated this king. Think about that. If, if Israel was planning just to pass on by, just to pass through this land, they were never intending to settle and dwell in this land. If they were never intending to settle and live in this land, this isn't the promised land. But here they see the land is good. They see the land is green. So they ask, we want to live here. 
The boundary marker for the promised land was the Jordan River. They said, don't take us across the Jordan. We want to stay here where the land is green. I mean, you can see even on this map where we've got the Jordan River kind of snaking through, you can see the land east of the Jordan to the right, much greener than what you see up top. They are wanting this land. They are wanting this good land. After 40 years, they come across this land and they say, we want this. We want this to become our inheritance. I mean, this is like prodigal son kind of stuff. I mean, they are asking for their inheritance now. They're not waiting for it. It's not even the right land. Here's what's shocking. God actually gave it to them. The implication is, There may be things that we ask for, that we pray for, that God never planned to give us. Things that ultimately may lead to our demise. This land is what tore these people apart. The grass was greener on the other side of the river. For shepherds on the east, prosperity, success was was measured by livestock. So count your camels, count your goats, count your cows. That's your bank account. The land east of the Jordan produced great prosperity, but it left an inheritance that was spiritually bankrupt. God wanted these people to be dependent on him, but the land wasn't designed for that. God wanted these people to depend on him for their livelihood, for their survival, for this growing relationship. But the land east of the Jordan River, it didn't need that. Ultimately, these people are some of the first people taken into captivity. These are the first people who are intermarrying with the other nations. They are the first people worshiping other pagans and Baal around them. Ultimately, this land led to their demise. First Chronicles chapter 5 says, They broke faith with God of their fathers, talking about Reuben and Gad and half of Manasseh, and they whored after the gods of the peoples of the land. Sometimes the guaranteed opportunity isn't the best choice spiritually. Dads, maybe it's, it's working overtime, and that's good for savings, but it's robbing time from your family. Maybe there's a promotion at work. Pays more but it's going to require travel and being gone and nights and weekends away from your family. Maybe it's a second job. Maybe it's relocating for a new job. Maybe for stay-home moms. It's, it's the tension of maybe going back to work and finding childcare. I know this isn't an easy choice. My wife and I, we, we have to wrestle with this right now. It's a change to go from two incomes to one income. It's a huge sacrifice to stay home with the kids, to give up work, to give up career, to be isolated at home 24-7, never-ending. I'm not saying this is easy. Sometimes you have to do what you have to do. It's not black and white. Uh, This isn't meant as a guilt trip. I'm just asking the question, What's most important? When it comes to inheritance, when it comes to passing on to your kids, what's most important? 
I wish I could ask the people from Gad and Reuben and Manasseh, was it worth it? Was, was taking this land for your animals, was it worth it for your family, for your kids, for your grandkids? My wife and I have one son. He's about two. In about a month, we're expecting a daughter. And I've heard from some wise dads, it doesn't get easier. I've heard that my role significantly changes. Uh, the bottom line, I, I need to help more. I need to be around more. I need to do more. I need to, to work at work during the day and then come home and work at home with the family. Over the last couple months, my wife, Krista, has been, she would say, encouraging me. I would say, preconditioning me to do more, to help more, to be more involved. Hey, dads, I'm preaching to myself today. I need to be more engaged. I need to do more. I need to work harder. I need to be home. And I don't think I'm alone. It's harder to be a mom. I'm convinced of that. It's harder to be a mom 24-7, never ending. Dads, our challenge is this, this pull, this tension between work and home. Wanting to be at work engaged with work and having to be at home engaged at home and trying to juggle these demands, these expectations from both. And sometimes these collide. Sometimes these interfere. It's not nine to five. Sometimes it's hard. What's most important? Question four, what's with the Levites? Why didn't they get any land? Verse 14, to the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to them tribe of Levi got no land. The Lord wanted them to be fully devoted, full time. They didn't want them to be distracted with, with animals and land. He wanted them to be full time working as shepherds for the people of Israel, as, as priests for the sacrifices. He wanted them to be engaged in leading the charge for Israel's worship. He didn't want them distracted to be caught up with the rest of life and work. And the result was the Levites, they were dependent on the offerings of the tribes, of the people around them. Um, and I just think it's, it's so appropriate and fitting here that on behalf of the pastoral staff, I mean, we have to say thank you. I mean, your, your offering, your giving, your tithing does so much for this church it does so much for the ministry of the gospel and even missions like right now in Romania. It does so much for building a new facility, a permanent home. It does so much for us as a church family, but it also puts food on the table for the staff. We are so fortunate. We are so blessed that we can spend our full-time job focusing on the work of the Lord, serving the church, leading the church, it's a blessing. We're so grateful just for your generosity and giving. This church is a gracious church. 
We want to say thank you. Part of one of my jobs is uh, overseeing and helping with uh, the offerings and the giving and the finances with the church. Um, I just have a unique position to be able to have a front row seat in watching for the last five years um, just people giving and writing checks and funds coming in week after week. It's a blessing. I've been able to watch and just see as, as people have, have tested the Lord in this area, as people have been faithful and sacrificial and giving, I have seen the Lord bless. I, I've seen young kids and their allowance with quarters wanting to give to the Lord. I've seen people wanting to sell vehicles for the facility fund, trading in stocks and bonds, I've seen people pulling out some early retirement so they could give more to the Lord. I've seen people selling, I mean, precious jewelry. I'm talking gold for the church. It's amazing watching God provide for his people and watching families just, even in times of unemployment, giving to the Lord and watching the Lord answer prayers and provide and bless. If you're giving, we just want to say thank you for giving to the Lord, for serving the church. He owns it all anyway, right? It all belongs to him. We just have it on loan right now. If you're not giving, I just want to challenge you. Think about it, pray about it. You're missing out. God is so good. He provides the Levites had no inheritance. Um, verse 33. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. The God is their inheritance. They didn't have a lot of stuff to be able to pass on to their kids, but the Levites left a legacy of serving faithfully to the Lord, day in, day out. The last point here, the Levites had no inheritance, they received no inheritance, but left a legacy of serving the Lord. Work is good. And we see that, Genesis 2, before the fall, God calls Adam to work in the garden. Work is created, is designed to be good. But in Genesis 3, with the fall of mankind, there is now a curse because of sin that's placed on work. It says the ground, the soil, will now be filled with thistles and thorns, where man will now work by the sweat of his brow. Work becomes hard. One of the results of, of sin and the curse, I think for dads, is this tension. It's this juggling both work and family of, of having to work hard and provide, but also having to be home and available. I mean, this is, this is the conflict. This is the tension that, that so many of us men face. And here on Father's Day, dads, I just, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Refocus. What's most important? Dads, who's with me? Who just feels this strain, this tension between work 
and home. It's hard. Dads, I want to challenge you. If you're distracted and consumed with work, you've got to think about the impact on your family. We can chase prosperity and success and promotion and stuff, but if that leaves our family spiritually bankrupt, all is lost. Dads, are you teaching your kids to be dependent on the Lord, modeling this, this relationship with the Lord? Like the Levites, are, are you serving the Lord? may not be in a full-time capacity, but with the time that you do have, are you carving out time so you can serve the Lord? As the worship team comes up here and as we close, I, I want a time for us men to respond. I want for the dads to, to come up front as the worship team begins to play. I want for this front to smell like men. Dads, I, uh, I want to challenge you to be thinking about what's most important. What are you passing on? I just want to give a time for you to respond where, men, you can come down to the front. You don't need to know anybody. You're not signing up for anything. Okay, you're not even sharing anything. I just want you to come down here, find another guy, and pray. Pray for your family. Pray for your kids. Pray for your work. Just pray. What's most important? Let's pray. God, it's a blessing to be a dad. Lord, it's a joy to be a husband, to be a father. Lord, we trust you sovereignly that you created us as men. Lord, there's days it's hard. Lord, we need a challenge. We need to refocus. We need to place our life on you, trusting in you and your provision and your grace. Lord, I want this day to be a day where by your grace, Lord, we can refocus. Lord, may this be a day where we can just be reminded of what's important. What are we doing right now to pass on to our kids? Lord, I pray for these men.